This is a podcast from Minute Media. The Lakers Legacy Podcast episode you're about to listen to is brought to you by the Fansided Sports Network, the ultimate home for fans, and by lakeshowlife.com, Fansided's official Lakers website. Make sure to check out lakeshowlife.com for all the latest Lakers news, rumors, and opinion pieces. As usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod, and also please consider dropping us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. It truly is the best way to support us. And now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where we are now just days away from media day, just days away from training camp, just days away from seeing Jaylin Sanity in a Lakers jersey, Wang Jaylin to be exact. So, Sun Yu, E.G. Anlian, eat your hearts out. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, who's calling in today from the 110 freeway, or is it the 10 freeway? 110, sir. 110 freeway. Tommy, did you know that Wang will be wearing number 110 in honor of that freeway? Hell yeah. Just kidding. Uh, Tommy, with Media Day just right around the corner, Wang J. Lin jerseys notwithstanding, which new slash old Laker are you most excited to see don the purple and gold come media day? Most excited to see or most interested to see? I, I think I'm, and I know this is like, you know, people make fun of, of Laker fans. I really all NBA, all sports fans for what I'm about to say, but I'm pretty interested to see Taylor Horton Tucker. I mean, we've seen him uh, in some clips from, you know, he's playing in these like casual Chicago leagues or whatever, but Apparently, I mean, it seems like from those clips that he's had like a pretty good like physical transformation. I mean, he was already from what he what he looked like as a rookie has made some huge strides. And so beyond like hearing what he's been working on, which is one thing I am interested in hearing him say, but I'm also just kind of interested in seeing like, how does he look? You know what I mean? Does he seem more lean? I know his goal was to get like quicker and and whatnot for this season. So I think I think he's the one guy I'm excited to to see this uh, during the media day. Oh, I like the angle you took. So you're more excited to see the new fit of his the jersey on it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Is he keeping it tight? I think he's keeping it tight and svelte. I just wish he'd shave off the edges of his uh, hair because he looks kind of old up there. Uh, with that said, I'm most excited to see Trade Exception X wear number 2.7 million in honor of Marcus All's trade. So hey. I think that jersey is going to look just great. All right, quick summary of today's show. Tommy will be joining us for this intro segment. And then for the second half, I will be monologuing about who knows what. Whatever exciting, tantalizing new development has befallen Lakers Nation. It'll probably just be me spending 15 minutes extolling the virtues of the Lakers' new South Korean sponsor, Bibigo, and how delicious their healthy bowls of bulgogi are. So, yeah, there we go. Uh, so let's get on with this intro segment with Tommy. 
Before we talk about closing lineups, which is that's what we're going to be talking about for this main intro segment, I wanted to throw some interesting stats to you and just get your opinion on them. Uh, First of which involves Kent Bazemore. So we've mentioned it before. Out of all the new Lakers guys, Kent Bazemore somehow ranks first in catch-and-shoot three-point percentage, hitting 42.2% last year, hitting one a game. Uh, In comparison to that number, he actually shot a better percentage than KCP uh, in catch-and-shoot threes. So Bazemore, 42.2%, hitting one three a game. KCP, 42%, hitting 1.5 a game. So KCP hit at a higher volume, slightly lesser percentage. So we talked about how, okay, maybe Bazemore's three-point shooting performance last year, where he shot 40% from three overall, was somewhat outliery. So I looked at Bazemore's catch-and-shoot three-point numbers for the 2019-2020 season, and here's what I found. Bazemore shot 37.8% from catch-and-shoot three-point shots and hit 1.1. KCP shot 39%, hitting 1.2. So there's a definite dip in percentage there from 42 to 37 or 38, but not by much. And as you see from both players, there's a dip from last year's numbers to when they, what they shot in 2019-20. But the main point being here is that here are two full seasons where KCP and Bazemore are pretty much shooting similar numbers from beyond the arc when it comes to catch-and-shoot threes. To me, given that's the main form of shots that Bazemore will be taking and given that we're trying to mold him into this KCP prototype, I think if he can control his erratic off-the-dribble play, uh, there's some encouraging signs to be found here with Bazemore, you know, maybe doing a more than adequate job of mimicking KCP while also maybe giving you some higher upside in terms of creation if the shot clock's running down. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the thing with Bazemore that always makes me feel a little uneasy is, and I, yeah, it's like it's funny because you read the stats and they do sound very similar, but it's like the, it's it's crazy how much reputation carries, but I feel like he's always been known as more of a streaky shooter. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I mean, it's encouraging numbers to hear. Who did he play for before the Warriors? That context, I think, is important, too. I'm pretty sure it's the Hawks. No, 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 sorry. It it was the Blazers or Kings, actually, because he got swapped for Trevor Ariza. So let me just... That's right, that's right. I mean, he split the 2019-20 season between two teams, the Kings and the Blazers, so... Okay, got it. Yeah, and and I mean, maybe those numbers even look a little more impressive when you factor in that the the Kings are not known for having, like, the most efficient offense, right? So... It, it it it's it's definitely encouraging signs um and and if he can fill in i mean we know what he can bring defensively so if he can slot in and hit some threes for us i mean he's going to be huge yeah no i agree all right my second stat of the day i wanted to take a look at the baseline three-point shooting percentages of our new guys and baseline three-point shooting is of course important because our main ball handlers, LeBron, Russell Westbrook, even guys like Kendrick Nunn and THT like to drive the ball, and the easiest three-point shot to pitch it out to are the guys sliding with them on the baseline, right? So out of our new guys, who do you think has the best baseline three-point shooting from last year? Baseline three-point shooting from last year? Um, I'd probably say say Kendrick Nunn. Okay. Uh, so just for context, league average is around 39% from the baseline three-point shots. Mm-hmm. So it is not Kendrick Nunn. So I'll go down the list here. This is just in terms of percentage. Um, Malik Monk 
tops our baseline three-point shooting with 55% from what those spots. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> okay, so I'll caveat that by saying he took slightly lower volume than the rest of these guys, 19 for 34, but still a great percentage. Number two is Carmelo Anthony. No surprise there. Oh, 40, yeah, yeah. 41%. Carmelo, actually, I probably should have guessed, yeah. Yeah, so Carmelo's second, 41%, hitting 29 of 70. Bazemore is third at oh, wow. 39%, hitting 41 of 103. So Bazemore actually takes the most baseline shots out of any of these guys, which is also sort of encouraging and ties back to you know what we just talked about in terms of catch-and-shoot three-point percentages. Trevor Ariza ranks fourth at 36%. And even though he only played like half the season with the Heat, he still got up 64 attempts, you know, so 23 for 64, 36% in comparison to Malik Monk's 19 of 34. Kendrick Nunn is fifth at 19 of 60, only shooting 31.6%, so not great. Considering he shot 38%, you can probably imagine how well he shot on the wings. And then Wayne Ellington is last at 30% from the baselines. Just weird. Uh, wacky stuff right there. Wayne Ellington, 18 of 59. So then I jumbled up the numbers to, to account for volume. So the volume leaders are Kent Bazemore, 103 attempts, hitting 39%. Mello stays at second, 70 attempts, 41%. Ariza, 64 attempts, 36%. None, 60 attempts, 32%. And Monk shot the least, 34 attempts, hitting 19. He did shoot the best at 55%. Anything interesting out of those numbers? I think, again, the, so the Carmelo one, that that definitely makes sense. And it checks out with how his game has evolved the last few years. I think it's that, that one is going to help us a lot because he's going to be playing pretty much exclusively the four for us. Um, so being able to, you know, have that dynamic between him and, you know, Dwight crowding the paint potentially. Like if you if you imagine like the pick and rolls, right, it's. We, with uh, whoever our big ends up being off the bench, whether it's Dwight or DeAndre or whoever, right? It, you can't crowd the paint against us as much as you used to if you have Melo sitting over there in the corner. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's like a nice stat to hear. But in terms of what stands out, I mean, I know it's lower volume, like you said, but the Malik Monk stat is just wild to me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a very, very high percentage over the course of a season. I mean, yeah, maybe that averages out to like half an attempt per game or whatever, but it, I mean, it's it's encouraging because he's young, and if he builds upon that this year, I mean, who knows what that guy's going to do for us uh, in, in the coming season. No, for sure. And then for me, I mean, the thing that I highlighted too was Bazemore again, shooting the most number of baseline attempts, which is good because he's used to that. I guess when you play with Golden State, you have to be used to shooting those types of shots. But I broke it down even further because on the right baseline, he shot 43%. So 25 of 58 from, I don't know what to consider the right based off of what you're looking at, but one of the baselines is he's shooting 43%. All right. With that said, to close this intro segment out, we haven't yet talked about this topic and it's the topic of closing lineups. And with the recent rumors that, you know, Rich Paul went around the draft combine saying that AD is effectively going to play the five and LeBron's going to play the four, you know, maybe this is a moot point. Or, you know, maybe we had that episode where we talked about our starting lineups, our non-traditional AD at the five starting lineups. So our closing lineups may actually look similar to what we mentioned in that episode, which is, I think, episode 369. So check that out. Um, but yeah, let's talk about closing lineups. So Tommy, give me your top two best closing lineups, or maybe not best, but the ones you feel like will be most deployed over the course of an 82-game season. 
So my two for sure. And I think regardless, you know, the Rich Paul comments came out recently, obvious or the not comments, but the rumors came out recently regarding him saying AD is going to play four or a five. LeBron is going to play four. I guess the interesting thing for me, right, is does that mean starting or closing? I think closing, everybody probably figured that's yeah. what it was going to be with the Russell Westbrook lineup. Um, but anyway, my two lineups are going to be very, very similar. So I'll say the constants between the two, AD at the five, LeBron at the four, and Russ at the point guard, obviously. Yeah. Um, the two and then and then other than that i think it becomes matchup dependent if we need more length i go ariza at the three and baze more at the two mm-hmm. if we need more guard play either on offense or defense i go baze more at the three and kendrick none at the two mm, okay and i and you know what i like about both both of those lineups but especially the none lineup is i think brings like an interesting dynamic offensively i mean if you have lebron and westbrook attacking with a uh, more of a spacing big i know ad is not like an elite shooter but he's still a spacing big um in ad and then you have you know baysmore and none baysmore's length none i mean one through five all of those guys can handle the ball i i like that is an interesting lineup to me from an offensive perspective Mm -hmm. um but those are my two lineups for for closing i think Okay, so for me, I actually had the same number one lineup. So I have AD at the five, LeBron at the four, Ariza at the three, Bazemore at the two, and Westbrook at the one. My main argument being that Frank Vogel will likely stick to his guns and go defense, right? (laughs) Defense-oriented to close, and that's Bazemore and Ariza. My second lineup is different than yours. I still have AD. I still have LeBron. I still have Westbrook. I have Bazemore, but I have Bazemore slotted at the two. And I have Carmelo at the three. Oh! So, hey, yo. <laughs> so my logic and reasoning for this is just, I'm sure over the course of an 82-game season, Vogel will find his trust in particular players. And Carmelo, to me, just seems like a guy who cannot be denied. And re- say what you want about his defense. I think on defense, he's going to probably guard whoever's playing the four. And Ron will slot. be more of a four, yeah. Right, Exactly. exactly. But in this lineup, I think just to provide that spacing and the fact that Westbrook and Melo have actually played together, LeBron and Melo have played together. I mean, a lot of these guys have played together, but especially like such a star-studded guy like Melo has played with LeBron and AD and Westbrook multiple times over the courses of Olympic Games or All-Star Games or even just with each other as it pertains to Westbrook and Melo. I just think he's going to open up the floor a lot on the offensive end for us and then at the very, very end, he's just going to be our main free throw shooter on a lineup where, you know, you don't really know who you can trust uh, amongst Baysmore, Westbrook, LeBron, and even sometimes AD, you know. So I think we will see some lineups where Melo gets the closing nod with, you know, three or four minutes left. We'll see. I will add the caveat that anytime you see Baysmore in my two lineups, I would like to insert maybe THT slotting in there if his defense is a real thing this year, but we'll see. Yeah, that's it. Any comments on that? No, I think that makes sense. I mean, it will be interesting to see because Melo, it's so funny how Melo is like such a mean player. He's so divisive and he like creates so much controversy. It's like if you, it would be such a hot take for you to say, I mean, you did say it, but I mean, it would be such a hot take for you to for you to like, you know, affirmatively go with like, I, you know, somebody to write an article, you know, being like, I think Melo should be in the, in the closing lineup because 
he's what is he 37 and and he's such a divisive player among fans and but i mean if you really think about it when you need guys who can hit shots and clutch moments and not only hit them but aren't afraid to take those shots and mm-hmm. you know Mello really jumps off the page on our entire roster really as a guy who can and will do that stuff and you know you worry a little bit about him defensively like you mentioned but the issues with him really are going to be more at team defense because actually on the ball as a defensive four, I mean, that guy is like, he's still built. He's pretty well. always been, yeah, he's always been a super, even when he was 20 or 22 years old, he was super physical. I saw some clip actually pop up over the weekend of like Mello versus Kobe in that uh, Denver series when Mello was super young. Um, we might have played them both here as we won the championship. I, I don't recall exactly, but uh, in the in the late 2000s. But you know, Mello at 23 years old was like, I mean, he was bodying people, dude. And Kobe was giving it right back to. It was so physical. I, I mm-hmm. like could not believe it. It's like that kind of basketball doesn't really get played anymore. And and now Mello as a 37 year old who's more of a stationary player, he can still body guys. So I'm not really that worried. And he's got length. I'm not worried about him just as a straight, you know, four defender, a man to man. The issue becomes team defense, but I don't know. Vogel has shown the ability to kind of hide guys. So maybe it works. Yeah, he'll play that Jeff Green role that Jeff Green played for the Brooklyn Nets. So uh, with that said, that'll do it for our intro segment. Tommy, get out of here. Just get out of here. See ya. All right, so we bid farewell to Tommy, and we hope he gets to his final destination safely. We'll now pitch it to our sponsors, and after the break, when we return, I'll give you guys some final interesting stats to chew on and give you some last-minute stray thoughts of mine about the Lakers as we head into media day and training camp next Tuesday, including a Carmelo Anthony theory slash role prediction. So I'll get to that and catch you guys after the turn. Attention listeners across the galaxy. All the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. So join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, Performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. Man, did I write this? I don't know. Anyways, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. Alright, welcome back to the show. So this past week... Rob Palenka addressed the media ahead of training camp. Uh, Nothing much new to report there outside of Rob Palenka concretely stating that the Lakers are in fact likely to head into camp with their 15th roster spot open, which a lot of us had anticipated them doing. 
So far, they do plan to potentially bring in someone with the 14th spot. That's likely still going to be a non-guaranteed player. And Rob said that they're hoping to shore things up on that end before Tuesday. We'll see if, you know, 14th player X actually gets a deal in time to join uh, LeBron James and the rest of the team for this, you know, mini Vegas camp he's planning to hold over the weekend prior to media day and training camp. So we'll see. Um, with regards to actual how the roster actually stands, you know, I tweeted out a final training camp roll call and I'll just go over it really quickly. So outside of the 13 guys you already know that the Lakers signed this offseason to guaranteed contracts, the Lakers also have their two-way players, Austin Reeves and Joel Ayayi. So that makes 15 guys. They've also got their training camp invite slash exhibit 10 contracts of Mac McClung, Chandi Brown, and the new recent addition, Cam Oliver. So that's three additional training camp roster spots that puts us to... Uh, 18 players. So we have two spots open, technically two roster spots open, but more likely two training camp spots to fill out a full 20 guys that the Lakers can use to, you know, scrimmage with 20 players. So yeah, we'll we'll see who that 14th player X ends up being. And it might honestly just end up being, you know, Austin Reeves' two-way contract gets converted to a non-guaranteed roster contract for the season. And we make Cam Oliver our second two-way spot. We'll see. Or maybe Cam Oliver impresses enough that they give him that 14th spot in a non-guaranteed deal. We'll have to see how, you know, the next week pans out. But that is so far the final training camp roll call with that 14th spot pending, as Rob Palenka mentioned. Uh, the other big news heading into uh, next week that we learned of is uh, the BBGo sponsorship. So just wanted to give a quick congratulations to the Lakers for scoring their $100 million sponsorship deal with South Korean brand BBGo. This is their first global partnership, proving once again that the Lakers are, in fact, not just America's team, not just Los Angeles's team, but the world's team. Uh, for someone with a Korean-American girlfriend, I can thoroughly say that this latest move by the Lakers is her favorite move of theirs by far, even over signing LeBron James and trading for Anthony Davis. Because who doesn't love a Korean version of Chipotle and being able to customize your healthy, Galbi Bowls. All right, so let's close the show out, shall we? Um, in my haste to get some unfunny jokes off in our intro segment, when I asked Tommy who he was most excited to see in a Lakers jersey in media day, I realized that I didn't actually give my own answer. So let me rectify that now. So as it pertains to media day, out of any of the new Lakers we signed this offseason, I am most excited and intrigued to see Trevor Ariza in a Lakers jersey. Namely because I feel like it'll both feel right and fitting, but also trippy at the same time. Once we see old Ariza back in a Lakers jersey, and that's old in two different senses, it's going to be so wild to contrast that with the only other time he's been in a Lakers jersey, which was when he was a young 22-something-year-old trying to make his name in the league. So for me, I just think Ariza's full-loop odyssey back to the Lakers is so fascinating that... Seeing him back in the purple and gold, especially in that Lakers jersey, is going to elicit some very nostalgic feelings that transcend practical basketball logic for me. Because again, literally the only two iterations we've ever seen of Trevor Ariza in a Lakers jersey will be of him as a 22-year-old with his future NBA career just ahead of him, and then now as a 36-year-old with his career coming to an end as he attempts to close it out the way that it began for him 
and that's with a championship. So that's why I'm most looking forward to seeing Trevor Ariza back in a Lakers jersey. It's just going to be surreal and trippy. Um, and that's a perfect segue into my additional interesting stat for this episode, which features Trevor Ariza. So last year with the Miami Heat, once the Oklahoma City Thunder, once Ariza finally made it over to the Miami Heat after spending you know half a season not playing, and he didn't even play in the bubble as well, there's obviously no denying that he had a rough first seven games with Miami, getting his feet under him. He averaged 5.6 points on abysmal shooting of 28% from the field, 19% from three in his first seven games. But then in April, he turned things around when he averaged 10 points, five rebounds, two assists, shooting 40% from three, knocking down two threes a game. And then in May, he averaged his best month, averaging 12 points, five rebounds, two assists, 47% from the field, 35% from three, knocking down two threes a game. But more impressive than those stats or his ability to finally hit his stride is the fact that at the beginning of May, Ariza actually shot his way to third on the Miami Heat in terms of deflections with 57. So the fact that he just entered the team and all of a sudden shoots all the way up to third on the Miami Heat roster with regards to deflections is is pretty amazing and also a testament to his length. And he also shot to third on the Heat in terms of net rating, overall net rating, with a plus 4.3. And again, this is as a brand new member. So by the time May hit, Ariza was already shooting up to the charts of, you know, some of the Heat's advanced analytics. So with regards to offense, when Ariza was on the floor, the Heat had a 116 offensive rating. When he was off the floor, they only had a 111 offensive rating. More importantly, as it pertains to the Lakers, defensively, when Trevor Ariza was on the floor for the Miami Heat, the Heat had a 109 defensive rating. But when he was off the floor, they had a 115 defensive rating. So they were six points worse when he was off the court defensively. Also, this probably comes as no surprise to anyone, but when Ariza was on the floor, the Miami Heat had a plus 2.2 steal percentage whenever he was on the floor, which means when he was on the floor, he was wreaking havoc in the passing lanes, catching those stray balls, tipping balls, you know, hustling for them and, you know, just using his length to his advantage. So... I don't necessarily know how he'll hold up over the course of an 82-game regular season, plus a full playoff run on top of that, but it's at least encouraging to know that once Ariza finally hit his rhythm and stride, he still had a positive impact on an t- overall team's defensive outlook, on a team's overall defensive outlook. And the fact that he didn't play a full 82-game regular season last year and didn't even play in the bubble the months prior I think should be a plus in his direction in terms of longevity and him hopefully having some fresher legs this year that he can gauge and manage for this one last championship run. All right, one last interesting stat, or I guess one last slew of interesting stats, is I want to highlight Talon Horton Tucker. Last year, his sophomore season, Talon Horton Tucker had a 2.4 steal percentage. So if he had played enough games and minutes to qualify, that mark and rate of his, 2.4%, that would have put him in a tier consisting of Ben Simmons and Drew Holiday in terms of steal percentage, with only Draymond Green, Ricky Rubio, and TJ McConnell having higher rates. So with all this talk about THT improving defensively this year and really holding his own in that respect so that he can stay on the court and maybe even close some games... Obviously, steal percentage does not mean everything when it comes to defense, but it's just a testament, again, to 
THT understanding his length, knowing how to utilize that length, much in the same way that I was just talking about Trevor Ariza and how productive he can be on the defensive end. I think THT being able to leverage those long-ass arms of his while being able to also stay in lockstep with the Lakers' defensive scheme and not lose his man on team defense, I think will be so important. But just his raw skills and his physique and physical attributes in being able to be a steel maven in the in the same way that Trevor Ariza is, I think should prove very helpful for the Lakers if he can bring it on the team defense aspect. Also, one last stat pertaining to THT is his definitive improvement in playmaking, which I guess, you know, his rookie season, you kind of throw out the door because he only played like eight games. But I'll, I'll give this um, stat regardless. But in 2020, Taylor Horton Tucker had a 10.5 assist percentage. In 2021 last year, he had a 20.8 assist percentage. So that's like a 10% assist percentage jump. And obviously that's because he played more games this season. He had a more consistent role and played more minutes. Um, But, I mean, those are also reflected in his per 36 numbers. In 2020, Taylor Horton Tucker averaged 15 points, 3 rebounds, 2.7 assists per 36-wise. In 2021, he averaged 16 points, 4.7 rebounds, and 5 assists per 36-wise. So that jump in assists being the most glaring marked improvement from 2.7 to 5 assists with regards to per 36. Also, I've mentioned it before in a previous podcast, but last year, Taylor Horton Tucker had four double-double games with double-digit assists. Dennis Schroeder, by comparison, had five double-double games with double-digit assists while averaging 12 more minutes a game as the starting point guard for the Lakers. So the fact that Taylor Horton Tucker was able to do that, just be one game off of uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder's total of double-double games with double-digit assists is pretty impressive and bodes well for the future should THT get some shots if Russell Westbrook is rested or LeBron James is rested if he gets some shots to primary ball create once again. But for the most part, I think, you know, we're, we're hoping and banking on THT, focusing on being a great cutter and spot up shooter. All right. So to close this episode, I just really wanted to talk about Carmelo Anthony and kind of extend and carry over the conversation that I had with Tommy when we were talking about closing lineups and how I think that Carmelo Anthony will actually close some lineups this year for the Lakers. And the whole way I'm going to frame this Carmelo Anthony talk is by simply stating that I think he's going to play a a much bigger role than fans anticipate this year. If you listen to every interview Carmelo Anthony's done in all these podcasts that he's been on recently— and you even go back to his, you know, media day intro presser, his mention of how LeBron James deliberately reached out to him and almost turned on the bat signal to let him know that it's quote unquote time. If you go off of that and read the tea leaves off of that, I have to believe that Carmelo is going to have a much bigger role than people are expecting for better or for worse. I actually view this as a positive because I don't necessarily view Melo as this black hole the way that some people do. But In my opinion, I predict Carmelo is going to take on the Kyle Kuzma role that Kuzma vacated now that he's in, you know, the Washington Wizards. So I I think Carmelo is going to take on the Kyle Kuzma role, but actually close some games, close more games than Kyle Kuzma did. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive because Kuzma was already a better defender than Carmelo Anthony. So how is Melo going to close some more games than Kyle Kuzma is? And I also know that Ariza is obviously on this team and Ariza brings a clout and defensive aptitude that would lead you to believe that he'll get more minutes than Melo and that he'll close more games. 
But even with all that said, I, I still think Carmelo's overall going to have a bigger role than Ariza. And I almost anticipate Ariza, even if he starts, having the Markeith Morris role from last year, where we'll go to him in pinches. He'll have the honorary default start, start role. We'll close with him some games if we need to lock down certain players. But I just think Melo is going to make his mark and his presence known. And because he has LeBron James' stamp of approval, and I know for I, I'm pretty sure that LeBron, Westbrook, and Anthony Davis probably trust Carmelo Anthony the most, especially in closing time situations, to hit some big shots, to grease the wheels for them offensively. Yeah, it to me it just makes the most sense that Melo is going to at least have the Kyle Kuzma role from last year. I don't know how things are going to shake out minutes-wise, but expect Melo to have the same sort of 22 to 24 minute role that Kuzma did last year and even close some games that Kuzma didn't as well. And so because of this, I think Carmelo is going to be our new Rajon Rondo and really be this divisive player um, amongst Lakers Nation where people are going to just be pulling their hair out over him during the regular season and, and wondering why Vogel's giving him so many minutes. And he may have some games where he's literally, you know, shooting us out of games and causing our defense to absolutely crumble and fall apart. That's absolutely going to happen, and fans are going to wonder why Vogel continues to use him, why he has a spot in the rotation, etc., etc. And he'll toggle back and forth between absolutely ruining our defense, but also having some random big games where he goes for you know, 18, 20 points in 15 minutes. So I think we're going to have that argument and debate all throughout the season, and fans are going to rag on Melo the way that they did Rajon Rondo. But just like Rajon Rondo, just like Playoff Rondo, I think we're going to get Playoff Mellow, Hoodie Mellow, Olympic Mellow. And by the time the playoffs come, I think Carmelo is going to show up for us in a big, big way and even help us win some crucial games. With his three-point shooting, he's going to hit some clutch three-point shots. He's obviously probably going to hit some clutch free throws for us. And so, yeah, that's kind of my mindset with regards to how I envision Carmelo Anthony's role. And I'm actually not pessimistic about it. I was before just because Kyle Kuzma was on this team and bringing in a guy like Melo would, I felt would have impeded Kyle Kuzma's development. But guess what? Kyle Kuzma's no longer here. Let's let Melo cook. Let's give him Kyle Kuzma's minutes, 22 to 24 minutes, have everybody else shake out around that. And let's see how this goes, because I do think that we have enough guard, defensive guardrails with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and you know Dwight Howard or whatever to hide Melo sufficiently enough for the last three or four minutes in particular closing games to utilize him on offense to give us the spacing that we need. And especially in games where we're trying to make up points and we need three-point shooting, that's when Carmelo Anthony will definitely close. So does that mean he plays 28 minutes a game and closes every game? No, of course not. But I just think that People need to start opening their minds up to the fact that, again, Melo could have a bigger role than they anticipate, and it may not simply be a tertiary, you're just a break-in-case-of-emergency bench-type player, uh, and Melo, you just need to, you just need to fit in and, and make sure you're that Jared Dudley-type role player. That's not going to happen. Don't be surprised to see Melo closing some games, yes, even in the playoffs, and I actually think there may be some merit to him doing that. We'll just have to monitor the situation. But overall, look, this isn't just a meme casual fan take. If this happens that Melo has, you know, a more consistent role throughout the season, averaging 25 minutes, this won't just be Vogel being enraptured by Melo's name and star power. 
this is LeBron, Westbrook, AD knowing who they can trust when it matters the most. And that's going to be Carmelo Anthony, I believe. So because of that, best believe we'll see Carmelo Anthony out on the court when it matters. So just keep that in mind and brace for that. Uh, With that said, I mean, training camp media day coming up next week. It's going to be such an exciting week to just see all the guys in their jerseys and and fangirl, fanboy about all that stuff. Uh, With that said, I'll leave it right here. Yeah, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. And we can't wait to begin our coverage of the 2021-2022 Lakers championship season, where we have yet to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the Lakers winning the championship. So hopefully we can go back-to-back in that sense. Um, So yeah, training camp media day. Let's BB go. All right, we'll catch you guys next time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.